Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. Welcome to Online Church. It's so great to be able to be speaking to you this morning. If you haven't met me yet, I'm Jackie Gibbon. I'm one of the pastors here at LifeGate. And I'm excited to be talking to you this morning. I'm also excited about the fact that we're now free and that we're free to, and that more freedom is coming and that we're getting to begin to meet with family and friends again. And one of the things I'm looking forward to as we begin to open up completely is being able to get back to parties and weddings and just being in large groups and just having fun together and being at weddings and um, celebrating and dancing and feasting and all those wonderful things we get to do. I love weddings. And here in Australia, one of the ways we prepare for a wedding is you send out a save the date card. And the save the date card just it comes out as soon as the bride and groom know when their wedding date is, they send it out without the details so that you save that particular day and keep it free so that you can attend the wedding. And if when you get that card, you already know that it's impossible for you to move things around and turn up on that day, you let them know so that they um, can maybe open up the invitation to somebody else. And then a month, or, uh, two, about two months before the wedding, then you get the official invitation and with all the details, and again, you have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm not available, but most people by that stage don't say no because they've already had the save, the date card, and they've already made all the preparations to attend the wedding. And I love weddings, and I've had the privilege of being wedding, at weddings in all different cultures and around the world, and one of the weddings that I got to go to that I really remember was a long time ago, it was about 25 years ago, in Damascus, Syria. And Damascus is a totally different city now since the war that has been going on there for so long. But it was a beautiful city that I remember visiting. And I was part of a team that was on a high-level delegation to apologise at government level for what had happened to the Crusades, through the Crusades, because it was um, still a very sore point there and a blockage to the gospel. And, yeah, that's a whole other story, so I won't go into that, but that's what we were doing there. And while we were there, one of the high officials in the local Syrian Orthodox Church had his daughter being married on the weekend, and he was like, you must come, because in that culture, everybody came, and the higher you up, up in the community you were, the more people you invited because you really kept inviting the people under you until everybody came. And it was an awesome day. The bride wore about three different dresses, one for the ceremony and one for the pictures and one for the reception. Um, the ceremony was beautiful. But the party was amazing because just so many people and they, we all just ate the one thing. They had these huge big vats of rice and chicken and nuts and fruit with a spiced yogurt that went with it. It was really delicious food. And then they cleared that away and the rest of the night was dancing, all that kind of Zorba the Greek kind of dancing. It was so much fun. And I had Josh with me, my oldest son. He was three at the time. And um, 
yeah, we had lots of fun. I had to leave early at 10 o'clock to take Josh back to bed because he really couldn't go much longer. And I reluctantly left my husband there because he was getting a lot of attention. And when Craig reported back to me later, he was saying he had so many young women wanting to dance with him because once I'd gone, they hadn't really realised that he was married, I think. And so they were hoping maybe that they'd get a, uh, a visa husband which was a problem we had in lots of places around the world that people often befriended us because they wanted visas to the promised land of Australia. So you're lucky you get to be here and live in this wonderful country. So many people want to get here. So weddings are amazing things. And Eastern-style weddings, in, so in India, we used to get dressed up too, and again, it was very similar. There wasn't all this rigid sitting down at tables talking to people you didn't really know. It was always free and buffet-style food. In fact, the people I used to feel sorry for were the bride and groom because they would sit up on the stage and have to smile and accept gifts and have photos taken all night. And they would be exhausted by the end of it. But it was fun. Loved weddings. And one of the pictures that we have that the Bible gives us often about what the kingdom of God is like is like that, a great banquet that there will be a feast where we all get together and eat and have fun and party. And that is one of the pictures of what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God isn't just something that's going to happen in heaven. The kingdom of God is something that's happening right now. It's meant to be also a picture of what living the Christian life is like. It's meant to be like this amazing banquet where we enjoy all the benefits and privileges of being a part of God's family. So today, I am going to look at that great banquet and also the cost that Jesus talks about in following him in Luke chapter 14. So I want you to think today about where you are in relationship to this banquet or that um, we're being invited to. Are you already at the banquet? Are you yet to respond to the save the date invitation? Are you somewhere in between? So I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you as I'm speaking and going through this passage this morning because we're going to revisit these questions at the end and you'll give you some time to reflect on where you are with Jesus in relationship to this amazing banquet that we get to be a part of. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, which, as I said, is the uh, invitation for God to join you. And the second part is the cost of what it is to follow Jesus, and we'll be looking that as, at that as well. Right now, we're going to read through the passage, and then we'll go back through and unpack it. When one of these at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, 
the crippled, the blind and the lame. The servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And then it goes on. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So we're going to go back and unpack that, but I just want to give you a little bit of context first. So we're picking up Luke chapter 14 in the middle. And before this, the scene is set where Jesus is having a meal with many people at the house of an important Pharisee. And before he tells this story, he's already confronted the Pharisees with a lot of things. First off, he heals a man who is there on the Sabbath and challenges them about whether it's good healing on the Sabbath. And he basically says, yeah, well, you, if you, you would help somebody who'd fallen down a hole on the Sabbath, so why can't I heal somebody on the Sabbath? and challenges their views on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Then he also challenges them about humility by talking about don't seek places of honour for yourself. Put yourself at the bottom of the table and wait for the host to put you in the important positions and then you'll be honoured. Whereas if you've tried to take the important positions for yourself, you may be dishonoured by being told to get up and give your place to somebody else. So he challenges the Pharisees who, all, who are all about their position and titles. And as he's talking all about, about all of this, one of the guests says to him, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And we don't know whether he was being facetious when he said that or whether he was being genuine, um, but Jesus uses it as an opportunity to tell this story because what the man is alluding to is the fact that we get to eat at the kingdom of God at the end of time, like at the end of our life, we will be in heaven eating at this amazing feast. And Jesus says this story then about the fact that somebody has prepared a great banquet and he sends the servants out to say, come because everything is now ready. That's the save the date invitation. So the way it worked was that... um, Invitations were given personally, the man's servant. And this man is obviously a great man because, as you'll see, the people he's invited are wealthy, important people. 
And he's sent his sermons out to all the people he's invited and given them the save the date card. The wedding's going to be, and it probably wasn't an exact time because in, in the days of Jesus, there weren't clocks and calendars and time was a bit more fluid. So it would have just been, you know, around this time, those couple of days will send for you when everything is ready. And so that's what the servants are doing in this part of the story. They've come back to all those that were invited to say, hey, the banquet's ready now, you can come. And then what happens? The people who are invited start to give excuses. The first said, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Who buys a field without looking at it first? That, again, seems to be a lame excuse. I bought a field. But you knew when the date was. You could have gone and seen the field before or after you knew the date. So why is that an excuse? And for us, a field in those days was the same as, um, well, it's something you owned, isn't it? So is it possessions that are stopping us? And we need to think about, is it... Um, what we're trying to accumulate and possess, whether it's our houses or blocks of land or cars or whatever it is, what are we saying we have to go and attend to instead of coming to the banquet? Another man says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, five yoke of oxen, that is a big deal. This is a very rich man to be able to even think about buying five yoke of oxen. And oxen was the key part of um, a farmer's ability to look after their land because the oxen were part of ploughing up the fields, they helped in pulling carts, gathering the grain, all parts of, of their agriculture was facilitated by having oxen. So this, in our day, represents, is it your work? Is it what you're spending your time doing? Is that what's blocking you from coming to... God's great banquet. And then another man said, I've just got married, so I can't come. Now, the custom in Jesus' day was that when you got married, you took a year off from being involved in um, community things you, and you didn't go to war, you weren't required to go to war, you were encouraged to just stay home and take care of your wife and establish your married life together. Something that is, would be a good thing to think about even in this day and age. But again, when you received your initial invitation, you would know that you were either about to get married or had just got married and you had no intention of coming to the great banquet. So all of these people could have said no, which would have been the polite thing to do when the save the date invitation came out, but they didn't. And when they received the official, okay, it's time to come now, They've got all of these lame excuses which are around their possessions, their work, and their relationships. Um, yes, think about that for yourself. Are any of those things that are stopping you from saying yes to being fully present at God's great banquet? The servant came back and reported to his master, and the master gets angry. He's annoyed that people, he's invited all these people and they're not saying yes. In this case, it represents God who sent his only son to die and provide the opportunity for us to be invited. And he 
can't understand why people would not say yes to that amazing invitation. So he sends the servants out to the nearby area and bring in all the poor people and the crippled, the beggars. Um, people with disabilities then only earned money because of begging and so they are always the poorest of the poor. And he said, bring in all of those people. And the servants again say, yes, we've done that, but it's still not full. And so the master says, go out into the lanes and byways and compel them to come in. And the first two invitations are in, and in the context of the fact that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees with this story, the religious leaders of the day, he's really saying to them, you have the save the date invitation. You knew that you're invited to this great banquet that's coming but you're not recognising that I'm inviting you to come, All that the banquet's ready now and you need to come. And so the first people with all the excuses, he's really pointing at the Pharisees. And then the crippled and the lame are again representing the rest of the Jewish nation. And then when he says, go out into the byways, and he's referring to and alluding to that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which is shocking to the Pharisees, are going to be invited to that banquet. And not only that, he actually says, I want you to compel them to come in. And the word compel here isn't in the sense of using violence or force in a physical way. It's compel in the sense of give them, convince them, give them truth and argument and all of those things. Compel them by the power of your testimony to come to my banquet. And then he reiterates to the Pharisees, those who rejected that invitation are never going to get another one. They're not going to be able to come and taste this banquet. So I'm wondering if you identify yourself in any of those areas. And again, I'm going to come back to that. But think about where you are. Have you acknowledge the save the date invitation has Jesus said to you come to my banquet but you've been too busy with your possessions or your work or your relationships are you already sitting at the table dancing at the party well straight after this Luke goes on to record Jesus teaching to the crowds and this is sobering because it's something we don't often think about the gospel is free. The story, what Jesus died for to give us costs nothing in the sense of there's nothing that we can do to attain it. But at the same time, there is a cost of actually following Jesus. There's no cost to starting the journey or, or and there's no cost to admission. We don't have to pay for admission to the banquet. But the journey to get there is not always easy. And that's what Jesus is talking to the crowds so he's talking to um, the people that are following him. They're following him because they've heard about all the amazing things that he's doing, that he's healing people and casting demons out and all kinds of amazing stuff. They've heard that his teaching is authoritative and that he doesn't, that he goes against the Pharisees who ruled the people quite harshly and had all kinds of rules and regulations that they had to follow. He was like a breath of fresh air 
coming with a whole new way of looking at things. And they were excited by all that. But Jesus sobers them up by telling them about the costs. First off, he tells them, if you don't hate your family, your father, your mother, your children, then you can't follow me. And he doesn't mean hate in the sense of, I really have to hate them. He, it's, a, it's a hyperbole of contrast. He's using that hyperbole to illustrate the fact that Jesus needs to come first, that he needs to be number one, and by comparison, that you hate the others. It's not a literal hate, it's just a relative thing. It's just an, he's just exhorting you that you have to put him first. And then he talks about carrying a cross, and in those days that was a common way of executing people. Jesus was executed on a cross. He had to carry his cross to be executed. And so it's a picture of, of death. It's a picture of you have to be willing to die, be willing to give up your life to follow Jesus. And remember, he's talking to the crowds. This is pretty heavy. They all, they all think they're there to get something amazing from him, and he's telling them that it's going to cost them their lives. And then he uses the two analogies of, do you build something? So for us, it would be like, do you start to build your house without counting the cost and knowing that you're going to be able to have all the resources? That You don't want to just get the foundations laid and the cladding, the skeleton of the house up, you want to be able to put everything in it. You don't even just want the walls, you want to like, you know, have the kitchen sink. And he's saying that's the same here. You have to count the cost before you start something. And he's challenging the crowd, you need to count the cost of following me. Again, he uses the analogy of do you go to war, which I think is alluding to the fact that following Jesus can be a battle, that it is a spiritual battle, that there is a lot of opposition when you want to follow Jesus from the people who don't believe and who mock you and ridicule you for doing what you do. He said you don't, you don't go to war without counting the cost of that and whether you have the resources to win the war, otherwise you'll end up losing and having to give everything over to the winning king. So he's really challenging us that we have to count the cost. Again, he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And I used to see this in um, India a lot. It, people would come to the Lord in India quite often through power encounters. They would be healed. They would be set free from demonic things, set free from addictions, um, they'd see miracles in their lives and they would see that Jesus was more powerful than the other gods that they followed, who they always followed out of fear. They would see that Jesus was more powerful. But quite often, they would, as soon as things got tough and something bad happened and the good things stopped, they would turn away and stop following Jesus. They hadn't counted the cost and in many cases hadn't really understood the invitation and the gift that they'd been given. And I always remember one of my uh, good friends, Pastor Tillak, did his PhD research on a people group that lived near us that had had a huge revival. They had like tens of thousands of people become Christians and 
But five years later, very few of them were following the Lord, and he wanted to do, find out why that was, so he did a research paper on that. But it just meant he went to that area and interviewed lots and lots of people about why, why they had started to follow Jesus and why they now were not following Jesus. And he found, yes, like these crowds that were following Jesus, they had come to Jesus because he had given them something, that he had healed them, or there'd been a miracle in their lives. Um, and, that, and they had seen his power and had been attracted by the fact that there was forgiveness. They had started to follow him. But very soon, following Jesus had a cost for them. It cost them nothing to accept him and be forgiven by him, but it cost something to continue to follow him and make him Lord. So they began to lose jobs and lose favour and they'd have family members dislike them in their community the other members in the communities would abuse them and persecute them and they had great were having great hardship because they were following Jesus and pastor Tillak used to say to them now that you're not going to trying to be a part of church and you're not not following the christian way anymore how are you and they're like oh happy we're really happy now because life's gone back to easier. We're being easy. We have work and we, nobody hates us anymore. Yeah, it was easier not to continue to follow Jesus. They hadn't counted the cost and nobody had really explained to them that there was a cost. And, that's, and Jesus is up front. He's saying there is a cost. You have to make some difficult choices if you're going to follow me because my way is countercultural. It goes against the grain. And I'm wondering today, you may be in that place. You may be in a place where you're feeling like it costs too much to follow Jesus. And I remember coming to that place. I think we all need to come to that place in our Christian journey. And I remember early on in my Christian journey that um, I came to a place where I was like, oh, this is too hard. I can't, I can't do this. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, you don't have to. It's your choice. You can um, walk away. You can do that. And I remember saying to God, but I will always know that you sent your son Jesus and that he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I know that he rose from the dead. I can't unknow that. I know that that is true. I cannot walk away from it. And I counted the cost and got up and ran after him and have tried to keep doing that to this day. But of course, I'm like everybody else. I get sidetracked by possessions and relationships and my work and ministry. It can all be things that hold me back from fully entering into the banquet that God has for me, has for all of us. And I find it interesting that after this stuff about following the cost, Luke goes on to record all the lost parables, the parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son, illustrating how much God goes after each one of us and wants everyone to come into his kingdom. So, it's time to consider where you are today. That was my challenge to you at the beginning. Where are you? Are you already enjoying the banquet? Have you counted the cost? Have you accepted the invitation? Are you dancing with Jesus and, um, yeah 
following him and enjoying the fullness of life that he has, even though at times it's tough to be there. Maybe you're distracted. What's distracting you today? Are you distracted by your possessions, trying to you know, get your house organised and bought? Are you distracted by your work, trying to get ahead and make the money in order to get the possessions? Are you... I even know for me, who I'm being in ministry, that I can be distracted by ministry and ignore God and not be fully entered into his banquet. Are you distracted by relationships? Maybe you're single and preoccupied with um, wanting to find a partner. Maybe you're married and that relationship is taking all up. And certainly when you get kids, there's lots about having kids that is and can be distracting. Where are you? Are you being distracted and not getting to fully enjoy the banquet? And maybe you've yet to say yes to the invitation. Well, I'm going to give us some time to think about that. And after that time, for those of you who have not said yes to the invitation, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes today. So just take a moment of time now to think about that. So... Are you ready to say yes to the invitation? Maybe you've been saving the, you know, said yes to save the date, but you haven't fully entered in. Maybe you haven't even said yes to the save the date invitation yet. But you can say yes to the invitation today. So I just, if that's you, if you're ready to say yes to the invitation to join in with the kingdom of God and say yes to Jesus and become a part of his family, then pray with me now. Father, I'm looking forward to being a part of the great banquet. I say yes to you today. Thank you for sending Jesus to die and pay the price for my sins so that I can be invited to this great banquet. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead and is preparing a place for me in the eternal banquet in heaven. I say yes to you today and I count the cost of following you, Lord. I know I'm going to have to go against the flow and put up with people who think I'm, yeah, don't know what I'm doing in following you. But I choose that path today and I choose to accept your invitation and to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just accepted that invitation, then I ask you to tell somebody. You can click the prayer tab on, on the website and somebody will open up a private confidential chat with you and pray with you. So if you've done that, press on the prayer tab. Maybe something else from this message today challenged you, then you can also press on the prayer tab and receive prayer for whatever God is talking to you about today. But I just challenge you to accept the invitation. There's so much that God wants to give you. He wants you to know how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ that he has for you. So enter in. Put aside the distractions and enter fully in and see all that he has. Let me pray for everybody. Father, thank you that we are all invited to the great banquet. Lord, help us to not get trapped in the distractions and the thing, ways the enemy wants us to stop from following you. Help us not be afraid of persecution and 
people who want us to turn us aside from getting to your banquet, Lord. I pray that you would just enable all of us to see those things and put them aside and follow you and enjoy everything that you have to offer us in Jesus' name. And I always loved um, Tony Campolo, who used to say that, a, a wonderful evangelist who always used to say that the kingdom of God is like a party. So go out and party now. Really enjoy all that God has to offer you in the kingdom. Have a great week. Um, please stay and party together in morning teas for both Preston's and Padstow. The links are on the website. And have a really great day. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected, and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au slash online and we'd love to find out more about you and how we can serve you as a church. Thanks for checking out this message and we'll catch you soon.